0: are you ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today welcome to all-around sports with john Engelsby. john's years of experience as a journalist has allowed him to net exclusive interviews with the top players former players commissioners and owners john and his guests are ready to give you the straight word when it comes to sports Now, let's talk all-around
1: sports. Here's your host, John Inglesby. Voice America, welcome to the 30th ever show of all-around sports from Boston, where each Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, we will go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144. Or you can email me at iir at comcast.net, which comes to me through my website at www.iirsports.com. As always, it was another wild week in sports, and as usual, I will discuss the highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items that dominated this past week's news. As well as welcome our two guests today, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine to discuss the huge Bama-LSU number one versus two matchup tomorrow. And our regular weekly call-in guest, Barry Rubenstein of the New York Post. My highlight of the week was watching Andrew Luck lead Stanford to its comeback overtime victory over USC at the Coliseum last Saturday night. And this came after throwing a pick six late in the game that could have cost them that contest. And it was basically the first time I had watched Andrew Luck play an entire game. And what I liked was that after throwing the pick six, he wasn't thinking how that might affect him being the number one pick. He shook it off and was figuring out how he could lead his team to victory. His interest in celebrating with teammates and fellow Stanford students after the win, rather than talking with Aaron Andrews of ESPN, was so genuine and uplifting that it reminded me that he is a first and foremost, a college student quarterbacking an undefeated team that still has a shot at the national championship and not thinking about where he will go in the NFL draft. As a footnote, I am an Andrew Luck fan, having covered Luck's father, Oliver, when he was the QB at West Virginia back in the day. Uh, And he was on his way to becoming a Rhodes Scholar and successful sports executive. He also played in the NFL and you know like father like son and I'd say Andrew knows a little bit about learning uh, given his father's academic career as well as uh, the fact that Andrew attends Stanford. So guaranteed he will learn from his pick six late in that game on Saturday night and carry that through the rest of this season and uh, right on into the NFL where I have no doubts he will be very successful. My low light of the week is last night's Florida State's 38-7 shellacking of 2-7 and seven Boston College before way too many empty seats at home in Chestnut Hill on the national ESPN game. We all know Boston's a pro sports town, but the absence this past week of absolutely any buzz whatsoever made the silence deafening. It was the only opportunity BC is going to get this year to make a statement. And they're a proud program, so they needed to make a statement. And instead, uh, they embarrassed themselves last night on national TV, and it was uh, sad to see. Uh, As someone who's attended many, many BC games over the years, it's only about 20 minutes from where I live, uh, it was sad to see that unfold last night on national television. Well, my bizarre sports story of the week is the... uh, Continued highs and lows in the curious life of Tim Tebow, which only one week after engineering the exhilarating comeback over the Dolphins, hit a low note with a drubbing uh, last Sunday from the Detroit Lions. However, I have a solution to help two franchises and Tebow himself. And it is simply that Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross should absolutely break the bank to reunite Tebow with his college coach at Florida, Urban Meyer, putting back together one of the most successful coach-QB combos in college football history, and back in their home state, none, none, no less, where they're revered, to put it mildly. This would relieve the Broncos of the Tebow Albatross, which is what it has become, and it gives Miami a shot at creating some buzz and filling those empty seats. Ross's franchise has hit rock bottom, So what has he got to lose? So uh, I would love to see that happen. And after attending three events last week, all that I reported on the show, there were none scheduled this week until I went over to Gillette Stadium on Wednesday to cover Coach Bill Belichick's press conference, which absolutely turned into an event. And that is because Patriot punt returner Julian Edelman was arrested on Halloween night for allegedly groping a woman in a nightclub up here in Boston. And this came on the heels of Patriots tight end Rob Gronkowski being in a photo uh, a couple weeks back with an adult actress wearing his jersey. So, needless to say, the media wolves were out on Wednesday looking for answers, but they were getting nothing from Belichick, who is the absolute master of the presser, which is what we uh, in the media call press conferences. It was uh, Shades of Spygate there on Wednesday with... uh, with Belichick's terse answers, creating uh, the desired, awkward, and uncomfortable atmosphere inside the media interview room, and a TV news reporter uh, pressed Belichick very hard on the Edelman issue, and he, Belichick, handled it beautifully as only he can. Uh, I've attended many of his press conferences, and he is just... uh, as good as it gets I find it as one of you know my career highlights and the more I do it, the more I enjoy it it's just uh, to watch this man uh handle the media is just a thing of beauty uh the way he can you know answer a question uh you know be asked a question and answer it very succinctly uh with one or two words is just absolutely masterful and uh to give you an example here is just one of Belichick's answers uh, which will give you a good flavor of how he handled the questions regarding Edelman, uh, which again, absolutely priceless to witness firsthand. I don't
2: have any comment on those conversations with Friday and myself and player. <coughs> All the other ones we have. You must be disappointed in them. Right now get getting ready for the Giants. That's what our football team's here. for. get ready for the Giants. The game on Sunday. Will he be playing that game?
1: The best players that we so there you go that's a little uh, taste of Bill Belichick handling some uh, tough questions uh, on Wednesday and additionally it was not the best day over in Foxborough as uh, as the other topic of the day was the Super Bowl loss to the Giants uh, after the two at the end of the 2007 season easily the worst loss in the history of Boston sports. Uh, The two play at Gillette Stadium this Sunday for the first time since that fateful Super Bowl Sunday when the G-Men stopped the Patriots from becoming 19-0 and the greatest sports story of our generation. To demonstrate the epic nature of that game and its aftermath, neither team has won a playoff game since, and only seven Patriots remain on the team from that shocker. So let's listen to some additional audio I gathered the other day at Gillette Stadium, starting with uh, Bill Belichick talking about his history with Giants coach Tom Coughlin.
2: I came the Giants staff uh, when I was already there, and I was coaching the secondary, and Tom was coaching the receivers. So uh, that was really a good situation for uh, me. I mean, as a receiver, as a defensive backfield coach, and a defense coordinator, but as a secondary coach, you work a lot with the receiver coach. Uh, um, One-on-ones, seven-on-seven drills, and also, uh, you know, you you talk to each other about, you know, we're playing this technique, um, you know, what what do you see, what could we do better, or how would you attack it? So we, Tom and I had a good um, relationship a good give and take on that, you know, he would tell me things about defensive backs, how they were trying to beat him, what they saw from this guy, how they would attack another defensive player, you know, with the same route, how they'd run it differently on a different player. Um, you know, the same thing. This is what I see from your receivers. This is how we're trying to play this guy. Um, you know, he really makes it easy for us on this route by doing this and doing that. You know, so it was good. It's constructive and it was good. And, um, mm-hmm. and then, of course, after the 90 season, uh, you know, Tom, Tom came here went to Cleveland. So we um, haven't been together since then, but we've had, you know, whether he was there in Jacksonville or you know, in New York or I was in Cleveland or I was in, you know, wherever I was before coming back here, you know, we've always made a good, you know, a good friendship. you know his wife and his family and friends for you know, quite a few years.
1: Um, so. Well, it'll be interesting to see those two on the sidelines again for the first time since that Super Bowl. And after Belichick spoke, uh, Tom Brady's, uh, strode to the podium and uh, he had this to say about his memory of that famous Super Bowl loss.
3: Distant memory. Uh, there's not much you can take from that. This is an entirely different team that we have and that they have and the strengths and weaknesses I and mean, there's so many players on our team that uh, obviously we're not a part of that game uh, any game against the Giants. But, uh, you know, we're familiar with them. We play them in the preseason mostly every year. We played them in the preseason this year, that probably gives us uh, a little more understanding of what they do you know, than, you know, than a few years ago or eight years ago.
1: So. And as we all too well remember, the key to that Super Bowl loss was the Giants' pressure on Brady that day, and here's what uh, the Q- QB12 had to say about the Giants' rush these days. They're
3: probably better than anybody in the league. They lead the league in sacks. They got damn near we got on that D line can rush the quarterback, so uh, JPP has eight sacks and oc he's got six and you know, hasn't been in there a whole lot this year, but he's still getting them. So they got a whole group of pass rushers. The only time you rush a passer you obviously you commit more people to coverage. And, uh, and they do a good job of that. We're we're very good against the pass. Um, you know, we've got a We've got to be able to, to be balanced. we got to go out there and execute certainly it's better than
1: last week. And there was an Albert Hainsworth sighting in the locker room uh, on Wednesday as well. And uh, the big defensive lineman had this to say about what he thinks are the keys to victory this Sunday against the Giants.
2: Things, you know, We need to definitely improve on third down, you know, getting on the quarterback. And uh, you know, I think we're doing all right now in stopping the run. So uh, definitely be nice.
1: And another player who uh, spoke that day was uh, the Godfather, if you will, of the Patriots locker room these days, running back Kevin Falk. It was so good to see him return to the field on Sunday against the Steelers for the first time uh, in practically a year, and uh, he weighed in on uh, Julian Edelman's arrest as well.
3: No, uh, we focused on the Giants right now. Like I said earlier, that it happens. Uh, the worst thing that could happen, it happened. Now it's over. You know, keep letting everybody else talk about it. Don't worry about it. You got a game to play on Sunday. Like I said, I was actually in that situation during the offseason a few years ago. So, you know, it's one of those things. Forget about it. It happened already. Move on.
1: And Falk's reference was to an offseason incident down in the Cajun Dome in Lafayette, Louisiana, a few years back when he was uh, caught with pot. And... uh but he also uh, talked about the Patriots' spectacular record over the past decade when coming off a loss, uh, which they will be doing this week after uh, getting beat by the Steelers on Sunday. And here's Falk's comments on the Patriots' success coming off a loss.
3: I'm not going to say it takes a mindset. I, I'm just going to say it. When we lose a game, I guarantee you, you guys are really. When we come in there next week, it's it's no booker. It's just going out there and football. You know, we're trying to get back in that win column. That's that's not something that you want to get accustomed to. You don't want to get used to losing, not at all.
1: And that was Kevin Falk. So it should be a great game on Sunday against the Giants, and we'll all be looking forward to it. And just one last postscript on the Steeler loss. Uh, there's been a lot made of the Patriots' onside kick at the end of that game, which was clearly unsuccessful. It did not go the allowed 10 yards. But here's my theory on onside kicks in that situation. I think it's worth a try. I agree with Belichick's decision to go for it. They had to stop the Steelers on a three and out to get the ball back with enough time to have a chance at winning. So my feeling is is that you know, you kick off from the 30, it goes approximately over the 40, we'll say, and Steelers recover, or, um, so it's unsuccessful. So the Steelers have the ball at uh, somewhere in the Patriots' 40 to 45 range, theoretically. And knowing that the Patriots have to stop them, or any team has to stop them on a three and out, then, you know, you have to stop them from going 10 yards, which will just put them right there at about field goal range. So they may or may not have a shot at a field goal because of the good field position. Resulting from the onside kick, and so in my mind, it's worth a shot to just get the onside kick and and have a shot to go down the field and tie and or win a game, versus kicking it deep, meaning you have no shot to get the ball from an onside kick. You kick it deep, you still have to hold them to a three and out, and uh, there can only be one series, like there was last uh, last week, and. Granted, you're going to get better field position if you hold them to the three and out and they have to punt and you're going to get the ball, whatever, your own 30 or 40 and have to go 60, 70 yards uh, to either get a touchdown or uh, if not, or kick a field goal. So in my mind, uh, I'm a big believer based on that, that you should always go for the onside kick if you got to stop them three and out anyway. You're getting a chance to give yourself the ball and granted, you're giving the opponent a chance to kick a field goal that could put the game away, but to me, it's a risk worth taking, and uh, and as Forrest Gump used to say, that's all I have to say about that, and now, as my former co-host, Lemont Williams from outside the huddle likes to say, it's time to base some bills, and let's take our break, and on the other side will be A.P. Stedham from Bama Magazine.
4: your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring LeMond Williams. Each week, join Limont as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business outside the huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field tune in wednesdays at eight p m eastern seven central and five pacific for outside the huddle on the voice america sports channel your internet flagship station for sports voice america sports
0: You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net.
1: Now, back to the show. Voice America, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is one 888 346 Or you can email me at IIR at Comcast.net. And it's that time of the show when we often have guests joining us. And on the line is AP Stedham of Bama Magazine, backed by popular demand after calling in from the road on the way to cover the Alabama Penn State game in early September. And Welcome, AP. You're on the road again, this time headed to Tuscaloosa to cover tomorrow's huge one-versus-two game between the Crimson Tide and LSU. How are you?
5: I'm very good, John. It's a pleasure to be on your show again. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, it's our pleasure, to be sure. Uh, So where are you?
5: I'm just south of Montgomery, Alabama, in a a city called Greenville, Alabama.
1: As opposed to Greenbow, Alabama, harkening back to my (laughs) Forrest Gump reference.
5: That's right. That's right.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, well, speaking of Forrest Gump, who actually played uh, in the movie for Alabama as a kick returner, as we all remember so well, uh, I got to ask you, AP, what's the mood down there? It must be unbelievable.
5: I've, I've never seen such enthusiasm for a game, and I, I can't imagine the amount of people that will be in Tuscaloosa tomorrow, they're estimating upwards of 50,000 just outside the stadium, and that'll be filled up 101,000-plus. So it would probably be the most people in Tuscaloosa at one time ever.
1: It sounds like it'll be like State College in Pennsylvania on a Saturday when it's the third biggest city behind Pittsburgh and Philly. Uh, <laughs> it might actually be the largest city in Alabama. So you're saying that, like, 50,000, People are just sort of going to be hanging around uh, within view of the stadium and the parking lots and stuff?
5: They'll be tailgating on the quad, and they'll probably have every parking space filled all the way down to the Black Warrior River. Really? Pretty good good walk from the uh, stadium. And they'll be downtown and and scattered across the the, uh, campus.
1: Fantastic. And with the, uh, yeah, I mean, I've never had the pleasure of getting down to Alabama for a for an Alabama game or something, it's it's on my bucket list. But uh, I'm sure it's just going to be off the charts. Plus, they have all day to uh, hang out, shall we say, and prepare um, with the 8 p.m. primetime starting starting time. And uh, so, let me ask you: Is is this the biggest regular season game that you have ever covered?
5: I believe it is because it's the first time the number one and two teams have played in the SEC during the regular season. So I can't imagine anything being so big, you know, with all the communication now. And they had two weeks of, you know, Super Bowl-like time frame to promote the event. And the ESPN and CBS on all their networks have shows constantly through the week, and they're interviewing everyone. And uh, John, I heard that they credentialed about 600 people for the game. And normally, in their press box, uh, there's three rows, 50 or 60 across. That's 150, 180 however, and so I'm anxious myself to see where everyone will be seated for this game when they're credentialing 600 people. I have an Italian journalist friend of mine. He's flying over from Italy.
1: Oh, my gosh. Really?
5: <laughs> That's the truth. It sure is.
1: That, this is big. Wow, that sounds like uh, what you see at the Super Bowl that I've right. had the good fortune to attend the last three or four years with uh, NFL media credentials. Uh well, one of the things that I've found really interesting this week uh, has been, you know, the ESPN behind-the-scenes look with both uh, Alabama and LSU, some sit-downs with Nick Saban and Les Miles. And, uh, you know, I'm a Saban fan. I, I like him. You know, I I said earlier in the show I used to cover West Virginia. Andrew Luck's father was the quarterback back in those days. But, and I know Saban is right from that Uh Morgantown area, and uh, so I've always liked him, and I thought the, you know, the -the behind-the-scenes peek at Saban was just as relaxed as I've ever seen him, talking about playing Michael Jackson in the car, and (laughs) talking about his wife putting a big clock uh, on the ceiling (laughs) above their bed. uh, Stuff you you just have never, ever heard from Nick Saban.
5: Yeah, John, I agree totally. I think he's had a few seasons to train the fans, so they're all in unison. Whatever he says before the game, they are all preaching and, and singing, and uh, he, he's, you know, done a magnificent job at Alabama, and I think a few things affected him this past season. One, they had a transfer, an offensive tackle from a junior college in Arizona who played at Tennessee, and he, he passed away. So there was a, a death in the program of a young football player, and I think that a that touched him, and also the devastation with the tornadoes. So I think those two uh, things affected him personally and you know gave him a different perspective about the game of football. I mean, he's still a serious person, but he, he changed his attitude a little bit and relaxed a little bit and opened up to the fans and uh, the media
2: a little bit.
1: Well, that's some great insight there. I certainly... Uh... I didn't realize that they had an actual death of a player. Um, I was well aware of the uh, player whose girlfriend died in the tornado. I think he might be maybe the long snapper. Am I correct about that?
5: that? that that's correct, John. You're, you're absolutely correct. And I didn't I didn't fail to mention that you brought that up. That's another thing. So, there's you know, death has touched the program.
1: Yeah, that does change your perspective. And, uh, yeah, it's just really nice to get a look behind the curtain of, of who, who, who Nick Saban is. and uh, So let's get into a little nuts and bolts, as you did so well when we were discussing the uh, Penn State-Alabama, both pre and post. Uh, what do you see in the tea leaves for tomorrow on the field?
5: You know, John, this game is a matchup of two fantastic defenses intent on pressuring the quarterback. It's a quick decision. The LSU has two veteran quarterbacks, and Alabama- a uh, young quarterback who's performed admirably and he's shown a lot of poise throughout the season. Uh, you know, the edge would have to go to LSU because if one of those quarterbacks went down, the other one would just step right in. Alabama has a player, Phillips Sam's hadn't taken the field very much, but I, I have uh, great confidence in AJ. Uh, for instance, against Tennessee, they shut down Alabama's running game to the least amount of yards, 143, and AJ countered with 294 yards passing. Uh, so uh, I'm really confident he can get the job done. Uh, both offenses, John, average 39 points a game on the top of the league. I would give the edge to Alabama in the running game because they do have a superstar talent with Trent Richardson.
3: Absolutely.
5: Uh, well, what scares me the most, scares me to death, is reuben Randall, the tall, talented wide receiver for LSU. He burned Alabama last year for a 75-yard touchdown. Uh, John, he's caught 33 passes. He caught 33 passes last year for two touchdowns. He's already caught 33 passes this year for seven touchdowns. And so he, he's coming on, um, playing very well. Um, the kicking game, it's about even, I would say. Uh, the field goal kickers, they have one field goal kicker. He's made a 44 yardish longest. And Alabama uses two people, one for the short kicks and one for the long. The longest is 45 yards. Alabama, the long kicker missed a couple from 50. LSU, uh, place kicker missed one or two from 50 also. Uh, if I was Alabama, I, you know, I would devote special attention to Ruben Randall, uh, to stop him as a receiver. And of course, LSU is going to load the box to stop Trent Richardson because Alabama's receivers, they don't have that J2 factor, the Julio Jones factor. He's going to be a Falcons now. And right. your your outstanding receivers. Mark Weiss He's about 5'9", speedy receiver. He's caught 39 passes. He's had an outstanding year. But I think you can press coverage Alabama easier than you can press coverage LSU. But those are some of my observations about the game, uh, with the two offense. Defe- defensively, I think you're going to see some different, different coverages. And one thing about uh, LSU, they have a little advantage with the Jordan Jefferson. He's a running quarterback. I believe it's very difficult to have press coverage when the quarterback can run unless you feel really confident in the linebacker that can spy the quarterback. Uh, you know, Alabama has some guys that can run. I'm not sure what they're going to do in those situations, but they might have to zone when Jordan Jefferson's in the game. He has not thrown that many passes, believe it or not, John. He's thrown less than 20 passes. And Ellis, right. here, the team, has only thrown 176, the least amount in the league which is a reflection of their domination in most of their games. They haven't had to throw the football. But interestingly enough, um they're eighth in uh in, in pass uh they're one of the top teams in pass efficiency in the nation. Uh first in the SEC, they're eighth nationally in pass efficiency and first in the league in pass efficiency. So uh, those are some of the things I
1: observe. Good points. Great breakdown. Uh you know, to me, the difference in the game is the Alabama defense. Uh, they're special. And what do you see as, you know, the difference in the game?
5: I, I would say uh, I would have beat, Alabama's back eight. I wouldn't trade them for anyone, the four linebackers and the four defensive backs. I think LSU has the edge in the defensive line. LSU has two guys that are pretty quick off the edge in the Alabama defensive line. They're kind of un, unsung heroes at this point. Um, I would see the difference, John, as being the home field advantage for a young quarterback, A.J. McCarron of Alabama. Uh, But in this series, the home team has not fared that well um, all the time. But in this instance, if if there's going to be an edge for Alabama, I think it helps A.J. McCarron, the young quarterback.
1: Great observation. And final question as we head to our break is – what do you see, uh, who do you see winning this game?
5: I, I see I see the winning team uh, scoring in the 20s, John, believe it or not, even though they have two great defenses. And the reason right. I say that is because uh, LSU faced two top offenses, Oregon and West Virginia, and they both put up 27 and 21 points respectively. So uh, I, I see Alabama, you know, two, three points, winning by two, three points.
1: Yep, that, that, that sounds about right to me. I, I would... Uh... Go along with that thinking. And actually, I do have one just one more final question, which is mm-hmm. Has there been much, uh, many questions this week, or uh, with Sabin's history of formerly coaching at LSU and in fact leading them to a national championship? Is that a topic at all this week down there, or no?
5: Yes, that does come up. It, I mean, I always, uh, I'm not sure I understand the people of Louisiana uh, because. That program was kind of dormant for many years. They had a championship, I believe it was 58, and he bought that championship about 40 years later and turned the whole program around not only to win a championship for himself, but that his successor, Les Miles. So if I was the folks who Louisiana, I would salute him and, and thank him for all the good work that he did because he did go to a professional team. He didn't go to another, another university, but I guess the rub, is that he came back to the SEC Western Division and, and one of the rivals in Alabama.
1: Yep, yep. Well, people take their football very seriously down there, as you know better than anyone. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that that stuff is just simply not taken lightly. Uh, it's, no. you know, it's not life and death. It's much more important down there. And, uh, well, AP, <laughs> you've... Uh, Once again, enlightened us uh, just in time. I know just based on the past 15 minutes talking with you, I'm going to enjoy the game a little more than I uh, would have before our conversation. And uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time to call from the road. Uh, As I said back in September, I wish I was with you. I wish I was riding shotgun because I'd love to be on my way to the game too. And we'll be watching through your eyes.
5: I appreciate it, John, and thanks for all the kind words, and I wish you were here. And you have to come see us sometime in Alabama.
1: Oh, trust me. You can count on that. And uh, thanks again. It's time for our break again, and joining us next will be our weekly call-in expert, Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post. (laughs)
4: Your internet flagship station for sports.
3: Voice America Sports. The revolution has begun with Jim and Trav.
4: Listen this week as Randall Eden, Shannon Young, Josh Fleming, and Joe Hosmer tell us why it's important to get our kids in the outdoors. Plus, Cat Daddy will have some catfishy tips, and Nick Rhodes has a new twist on wildlife management you'll want to hear. This is sponsored by Ram Trucks at RamTrucks.com. Wednesdays at 1 Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. I'm Jim Ferguson. I'll see you on the trail. Your internet flagship station for sports,
0: Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144, or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the
1: show. Voice America, welcome back to segment three of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is one 346 9144 or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And joining us on the line now is our weekly call-in expert, Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post. And Barry, just like AP before you, you're on the road too.
6: That's correct. That's correct. It's a it's a great day for driving a beautiful uh, beautiful New England day. I trust it will be a beautiful New York day too. Uh, as we trade our our uh, northeastern uh, cultures, going from one to the other, as the usual uh, usual procedure here. So uh, I'm glad to be a part of it. Appreciate it.
1: Well, I appreciate you coming on, as always, and, uh, boy, right off the bat, I think we can jump right into uh, what I started my opening segment with, which was, of course, uh big game on Sunday down the road here at Gillette Stadium with Giants versus Patriots meeting for the first time in a regular season game since the Super Bowl, and knowing, uh, knowing you're headed to New York to work for the Post. Uh, What's the mood in New York for this uh, for this big game this weekend?
6: Well, I think there's a lot of you know the uh, signs for being very very careful to say that uh, you know that they're not really thinking much about the Super Bowl. I mean that was four years ago after all. You know, there's there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's kind of hard to ride the momentum of something ha- that happened. You know, and you know that 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 geons in the in sports talk. You know, uh, when it comes to Games and preparation and all that and, you know, I, I, I wouldn't expect, you know, any, any different approach from, from that. I mean, that, that's pretty much par for the course. I, I think the thing to, to really look for in this game is, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the Patriots, you know, smarting a little bit after, uh, uh, the game against the Steelers last week and they are, they're, they're, they're having their issues on defense, certainly. You know, ranked third, ranked last in the league on defense, you know, for a Bill Belichick team that's, uh, that's unheard of, really. But I think, from a Giants' point of view, the thing to really look for is is, is will the Giants play to the level of their competition, which they have done all season long. I mean, it's it, it, it's really uncanny. I mean, they lose to they they play a Seattle team at home uh, at the Meadowlands and and look look bad and lose. They play a winless Dolphins team and really you know allow the Dolphins to hang around the whole game before finally pulling away in the fourth quarter. And then they go down and play the Eagles at, at the link and 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 whip them, so you know you, 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 it's, it's really funny that you know the, the giants seem to have this uh, uh this methodology of you know rising up to the challenge you know when the situation calls for it. So I would expect the same thing to happen this week. i, 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 I who's going to win? Hard to say I I, I I think both teams have a lot on the line. Uh, you know the thing uh, also from a giant's perspective is that though, They are five and two. First place in the NFC East, but, uh, this game, this week against the Patriots, start, uh, the second half of their season, so to speak. Uh, it's an absolute, absolute absolutely brutal schedule. I mean, it's just one, one, uh, one juggernaut after another. It after the Patriots, um, they'll play the Packers, they'll play the 49ers, they'll play the Saints, they'll play, uh, the Cowboys twice, uh, rematches with the Eagles and the uh, Redskins, and also the Christmas Eve match against the Jets. So, it's going to be very tough for the Giants down the road, so they really kind of have to make a wherever they can. And, you know, I would expect the Patriots to be kind of in the same mindset, you know, uh, being in their position to, uh, you know, AFC certainly. You no know, picnic, as you know. So, um, yeah, I would expect it to be a great game. I, I, I don't really have a feel one way or the other as to who's going to win, but I, I just know it's going to be a great game.
1: Absolutely, and uh, I will be there. Can't wait, as Bart Scott said, uh, and I think it's going to be great. And speaking of Bart Scott and, uh, as you earlier referenced uh, moments ago, the New York Jets, and I never thought I'd be saying this in November, but the Jets have a huge game at Buffalo, and that, uh, you know, if it's not for Patriots, Giants, and, of course, Ravens, Steelers Sunday night, that's a, one of the marquee that's maybe the marquee game of the weekend. Probably the third best in the NFL uh, this weekend. Uh, what are you hearing down in New York about that game coming off their bye week?
6: Well, you know uh, the, the Jets have had a, you know had a, another another week to get ready, and I think I think if the one thing we've learned so far about the Bills this year is that you know they, they are for real, and you know they're legitimate, and yes. uh, you know they 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 played really well, and, you know are they playing above their heads? I'm not so sure. I, I I I think they're the real deal, and they've they've certainly played well, and they've performed well, and you know, um, unlike certainly un, unlikely sources uh, for that success in in uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and uh, Fred Jackson, but they're they're getting the job done. The defense's been good, and uh, you know, uh, people I know that are that are Jet fans are, are a little nervous about this game because uh, the Jets have not been very consistent this year. They've 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 they've, uh, they've had some chinks in their armor too uh as 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 many of the other teams had as as the patriots had as as a bunch of other teams had the giants cetera, so um this is not going to be a uh, 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 gimme for the jets by by any stretch i mean i i would not be shocked if the bills won this game i really wouldn't i think the, i think the jets have a lot of issues um you know certainly defensively um you know there's been some uh, controversy regarding their play calling under brian schottenheimer so um you know uh, the, 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 i think the jury's still out on the jets i mean all the all the talk in preseason, as as we've mentioned before on this show many times, um, you know, at some point you have to play, and you know, they won a game they had to win two weeks ago against the Chargers. I mean, they absolutely had to win that game. The Jets did, and uh, you know, this is another must-win. You know, certainly in the uh, as far as the AFC race, AFC East race goes, as far as the playoff race goes uh, for potential wild card spots. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this it, this, this is going to be a big one. I I I, I, I I kinda of feel I kinda of feel the Bills winning this game, but um it, again it's gonna be another good game. That should be a dog fight up there as well, I think.
1: Yeah, well, uh good points and this is gonna be one of those true uh balance of power games. Uh is the is there really a shift in the balance of power at the AFC East? Uh yeah, obviously the Bills have beat the Patriots uh, this year. They're at five and two. Patriots are at five and two. Jets are at four and three. Uh, the Jets again have been showing signs of being dysfunctional, but yet they did. You can't drive the stake through that team's heart, and they uh, they certainly you know proved it with uh, the comeback win against San Diego and. So I think it's just going to be fascinating. I mean, if Buffalo wins this game, and I believe like you they are indeed for real. Um, and they're for real whether they win or lose, but if they win this game, uh the entire NFL universe is going to sit up and take serious notice and uh so I think it's going to be a great game and just before uh we go to our break here, uh I want to get your thoughts on my favorite game of the year. Games every year. Uh, Raven steelers Sunday night.
6: That's always a great one, and you know you talk about uh, you know rivalries. You talk about uh, you know real dive in the wall rivalries. That's one of them right there. Um, you know the last time these two teams met, the the, the Ravens beat up on the Steelers uh, opening week, I believe it was, and Ray Rice went nuts, and the the, the, the uh, Ravens won big. It's very yeah, and, and I think the knee jerk reaction would to expect would be to expect the same thing again. Um, Let's remember that it's very, very difficult, uh, in these, uh, division games to sweep the season series. It, it's very rare that that happens, especially when you have two teams as, um uh, as uh, strong as those two. So I would expect a lot from the Steelers this time. I think the Steelers have a uh, message game. You know, they uh, have message games, you statement games. I think for the Steelers, this is one right here because, you know, they, they've, uh, uh, they've got they've got a lot of things to uh, make up for after that week one loss so i would i would expect them to do it and uh again i don't i don't see a blowout but i see another good game like like the other two we mentioned but i i expect the steelers to come out on top this time
1: and i totally agree because before the patriots steelers game what i was saying on this show last week was that the patriots embarrassed the steelers on sunday night uh television last year in Pittsburgh, Gronkowski had three touchdowns, Brady was fired up, the Patriots were coming off a horrible loss to Cleveland, and uh, growing up in Pittsburgh, uh, following the Steelers since I was a kid, uh, they don't forget that stuff, and that was last year, so they won't forget uh, what was only a few weeks ago, the opener, when they were literally embarrassed, I think it's the only one-sided game between the two teams in years. So uh, I absolutely expect the Steelers, again, springboarding off their, lo- uh, off their nice victory over uh, the Patriots this past Sunday to really just come out, uh, y- you know, like wild men, uh, you know, looking for revenge. I, I think they're just going to really uh, lay it on the Ravens in a big way, which is going to be wonderful to watch because they play the most physical games of any two teams in the NFL. <clears throat> and I think the Steelers are gonna actually raise the ante and up that level of physicality uh a little bit on Sunday, which Sunday night, which uh which I can't wait for. Uh you know I feel like a lucky guy, I get to come home from the Giants Patriots game and settle right in and watch uh Raven Steelers. So I don't know that Sundays get much better than that. And
6: sounds pretty sounds pretty good to me.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and with that said, Barry, uh time for our break and uh, barry's going to stick around with us for the next segment and uh without said we'll go to break
4: your internet flagship station for sports voice of monarca sports the Sports Mavericks Show redefines the elite athlete by bridging the gap between parents, athletes, and the community. Host Ida Moye, aka the Oprah of Sports, brings to the Voice America Network original programming, balancing the pursuit of academic excellence and sports participation. The Sports Mavericks Show airs every Tuesday evening at 5 pm Pacific Standard Time, 8 pm Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports,
0: Voice of America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show.
1: Voice America, welcome back to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports. And back on the line is Barry Rubenstein of the New York Post. Uh, And, Barry, I thought we could talk a little bit of uh, baseball What with all the Potential managerial and player movement about to uh, unfold here as the free agent season begins. And this year it seems to apply for managers. Let me just say, though, before we start, as a longtime Sports Illustrated subscriber, I must say I was very disappointed that the Cardinals were not on the cover when I got it yesterday in the mail. Um, and I say that because what this Cardinal team did was just special. And it was a cover with Aaron Rodgers and his receivers. Uh, great story, great topic. But this is one time uh, where I thought Sports Illustrated uh, missed it. I thought they should have absolutely put the Cardinals on the cover because again, it, it was just too good to ignore what they did.
6: Yeah, I mean, it it, it is a little puzzling. I I, w- I would agree with that, and I, I would I would say that. You know, obviously, not really having a you know a feel for the inner workings of SI, but you uh, would think that you know any champion of the four major sports should automatically be on the cover. You know, I, I wouldn't think that would really be a stretch, right? I mean, I agree. You know, Super Bowl, MLB, NBA, uh, Stanley Cup. I think all four should automatically, No matter what else, I mean, unless there's really something, you know, a, a, some other huge story, which this obviously was not. Um yeah I was a little puzzled by that too. I I I would have to agree with you. Yeah, I think certainly you know the uh, you know the way this World Series uh turned out know, with game 6 being you know as we spoke about last week an instant classic and just a terrific terrific World Series as it turned out and yeah I I I I I agree with that. I I do certainly think they should have been and I I guess they had the reasons for for not doing that, but I I would love to know what those reasons are and I and I've actually you know heard a few uh a few other comments, you know, across the airwaves and on the Internet uh, this week on that very topic. So, yeah, I, I would concur totally with that.
1: Yeah, I'll bet the St. Louis people are just going crazy. Uh, getting their commemorative edition from SI's, uh, one thing, but not, uh, you know, I'm sure they wanted the cover as well, and, and they just deserve the cover. And uh, speaking of the Cardinals and Cardinal fans in particular, uh, as if that's not a... Not enough to be thinking about. Uh, they have to be thinking about Albert Pujols and how do you think? Uh, it's hard to believe he is now officially a free agent. Uh, and where do you think that's going to go?
6: Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, the, the the money that he would command is just is just so enormous that you almost can't really see a team. Spending that kind of money for a, for a player, I mean, granted uh, he's a great player and we're one of the greats in the game today, but you know he's getting he is he is getting a little long in the tooth, uh, and you know it's it's it kind of hard it's kind of hard for me to see uh, some of the team really locking him up for for the kind of contract he would ask for and the kind of money that that he would command. So you, you almost have to say that, that the Cardinals would have the best shot uh, of keeping him. I I, I, I'm, I I don't really have a feel for uh you know what other teams would be in, involved to 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 suit him uh to be a suitor for him um i, I would i would expect uh you know as i said that i think the cardinals have as good a chance as anybody to keep him because i just think there with, with with the market being the way it is i, I don't know I I, I, I I for him i just don't see it and you know for some of the other stars out there it's kind of hard to see as well
1: Well, and that, you know, really leads into, you know, what could be the differentiators, uh, which again leads into the potential for, you know, seismic managerial changes out there. We all know about the – everybody's talking about the Red Sox, the Cubs, but the real story in my mind is the Cardinals. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying 12-year third base coach for the Cardinals, Jose Aquendo has a fabulous relationship with Pujols and that if he's named the manager, that could go a long way towards keeping Pujols there. And uh, hearing news this morning that uh, Terry Francona, late of the Red Sox, uh, is uh, interviewing out in St. Louis. And, of course, there's a lot of talk about will he end up with Theo and the Cubs, and I'm hearing stuff uh on both sides of that ledger, and some people are saying no way, other people are saying it's a natural. So who kn- who knows? But what do you think about uh, you know uh, Aquendo staying and potentially keeping hosts there?
6: Well, I mean, I think that would that would probably get things done on on two levels. I mean, I know obviously Jose Aquendo has been you know, very well respected in the Cardinals organization, and he's been a, a coach there forever, and you know he he made his mark uh, as a player um actually came up with the Mets at the very beginning of his career and went on, played for several teams, including the Cardinals, and he had a reputation as being, uh, you know, super sub, playing at many different positions. I can even remember, remember him uh, pitching on occasion. So, you know, he's got the respect of everyone out of the organization. And, you know, if they're thinking, you know, we really need to do what we can to keep Albert, and if, that, if that's one way to to sway, uh, to sway that conversation, I could see that happening. I could also I could see Francona being there too. That was, that would probably be a good fit. And hey, let's face it. You know I, I don't think that um, that uh, Theo and and Tito were a, a you know there was any uh, bad blood between them at the end of, of of what happened with the Red Sox. I mean I still think that they they would certainly uh, be be happy working together with the Cubs. And wouldn't it be something if that worked out? And then you'd have a, essentially a Red Sox West or a Red Sox Midwest or whatever you want to call it. um... And you know, certainly uh how, how 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 delicious would it be for those two who uh broke a curse in Boston to break another curse with the Chicago Cubs. I mean what a story that would be. So, yeah, I, I I could certainly see that happening. And you know, the Cubs are, you know, certainly a team that, that needs some help and you know, I think to have uh steady hands uh you know at, at 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 the executive level and also the managerial level level with I'm sorry, level is what I meant to say. Uh, that would go a long way to, to help, uh, at least, build uh, a framework for our rebuilding in Chicago.
1: Well, very good points, and you know, I have two follow up points to that. Which is number one, uh, the Cardinals are one of those organizations that I believe you know still hold values like loyalty very high. Uh, they're 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 special and. Uh, with their Midwestern values and fabulous fan base, so I could see them, you know, uh, giving the job to Okendo in large part. Of course, he has to have the skill in their estimation, but, uh, you know, I think they place a value on loyalty, number one. And number two, I was surprised to hear a lot of chatter this week about that there is no way on God's green earth that Tito, that Theo Epstein is interested in hiring Tito. That just, Blew me away. It just came right out of left field. No pun intended, because I assumed there, like you said, there is no bad blood. I have no reason to believe there is. Uh, it just seemed it, I was shocked to read to hear that. Uh, but you know, I heard it in you know very definitive terms, as in no way Theo would ever reunite with Tito. And I, I just I don't know the details behind it, and I don't know where it came from. Have you been hearing anything like that?
6: uh no i mean I, that that that's that, that's kind of a stunner i mean i you know but it would be logical for them to work together i mean they they had a lot of success in boston as as, as we all know and uh i could easily see them teaming up again and you know and again i, I don't i don't ever remember seeing any reports of, of there being a rift between the two i don't think that was even an issue in boston i think that was more an issue of you know tito kind of you know uh losing a hold of the clubhouse and The players perhaps taking advantage of 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 his reputation as a player's manager. I mean, listen, you know, this is another thing we've talked about before. You know, if you're a player's manager, is kind of a euphemism for it can be taken as a euphemism for a manager that the players will walk all over for being soft, for being not not much of a not much on discipline, laissez-faire. And you know, you have your disciplinary managers who you know after a while. Uh, you know their their words ring kind of hollow, and uh, you know you tune them out. So both both options get tuned out sometimes. And you know what? It really comes down to as um, as Celtics coach Doc Rivers has famously said, and this is the bottom line for everything in sports: if you win, you're a genius; if you lose, you're an idiot. So you know when you win, a lot of that stuff gets swept under the rug. A lot of things that could be problems. Uh, if you lose, then everything is under the microscope. And you know, you and we had our we had that whole. Situation a couple weeks back, you know, after the Red Sox collapse of all, you know, all the, the talk of the, you know, the fried chicken in the clubhouse and the beer and the, in the video games and all that. And you know, I guarantee you, if the Red Sox had won the division by six games and got and won the ALCS, and even if win the World Series, you know, even if they had gone a couple rounds of the playoffs, none of that stuff ever would have gotten out, ever. So really, it comes down to winning and losing. That, that that's, and that's ultimately all these guys are judged. All the teams are judged. All management is judged. So that's the bottom line. And if 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 uh reuniting Tito uh and Theo in Chicago, you know, if that'll help turn that organization into a winning team, then there's no reason not to do it.
1: Right. Well if they do reunite and we're under two minutes here, so uh we're coming to the end of the show, but let me just uh finalize it by saying, you know, there were a lot of relationships fractured potentially beyond repair as a result of the Red sox collapse uh from players to front office from managers to everybody was involved. The fallout will continue potentially for years to come and certainly in the coming months. but the one relationship that I didn't think was fractured was you know Tito and Theo, so it remains to be seen what will happen there and uh Should they reunite in Chicago and get that World Series for the Cubs first time in 107 years? Uh, You know they're both headed to the Hall of Fame. Period. Um, You know, if not by votes, then by certain, uh, you know, memorabilia, shall we say? And uh, so that's going to bear a lot of watching. I'm going to do so. Yeah, I'm going to watch that closely because I'm curious to see, find out why people think Theo would never hire Tito. I just don't get it, but. Uh, hopefully I can come up with something that we can use on the show. And Barry, uh, I, I also want to give my pick of the weekend for appointment viewing, which is obviously the gigantic Alabama LSU one-versus-two game tomorrow night with Steelers-Ravens on Sunday night at close second. And Barry, I just want to thank you for coming on the show, and we'll look forward to doing it again next week.
6: Thanks for having me, John. Always a pleasure.
1: All right. Great work. I appreciate it. Great insights. And as always, thank you for listening to All Around Sports and have a great weekend. We look forward to doing it all again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week.